morning, good evening, good afternoon. Welcome to all of our partners around the world. Um, for those of you that are celebrating the Festival of Lives, uh, at sundown today begins Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah. Welcome to the third episode of All Things Global powered by Vistatech. Uh, I'm Suzanne Frank, your host. I'm Laura Dealey, your host. And I'm Dominica Diagostino, your host. Today's episode is going to be a presentation by Alvaro Via Via Morello, that's a mouthful, uh, of Nike, of Nike uh, on Words Matter, uh, a historical and sociological impact of words. So without further ado, since we're a few minutes late, uh, Al, take it away. Uh, first of all, Susan and the Visitech team, thanks for, for having me. Um, this was a lot of fun to put together and I'm, I'm really excited to be here today. Susan reached out and asked if, if I would like to be part of this, of this presentation series. And we started talking about having a conversation, you know, and what were the possible topics that that conversation could spin about. Um, and ultimately, I landed on the idea that I, I am very passionate about words. It's, it's, I studied literature, I studied linguistics, I trained as a conference interpreter and a translator, and then I've at probably every possible job in the localization industry client side that you could imagine. Um, and it's something I spend a lot of time thinking about together with, with my team at the moment um, and also my, my personal time, where that may be. Um, so we, we knew we were onto something here and I like the idea of having a conversation, an open conversation with you guys, but I felt the need to also explain what I meant and where I was coming from to kind of like set the stage. So. My plan for today is to explain to you where I find power in words. It's, it's, it's a personal story and it's a philosophical one in nature. I do believe that words have the power to change the world. Um, and I want to share some words of wisdom about how I see words and their, you know, why they're important to, to our society. And then hopefully we'll have some questions and maybe some answers. Um, I'm Spanish, so please, by all means, interrupt me as we go. I will find it rude if you don't. Um, also, I need everyone to hold a thought while we go through this. If 2020 was a word, what would it be? Okay, we'll get back to this later on. I've kind of already introduced myself. My name is Al, which is a lot easier than Alvaro Villalvilla Merelo. I'm originally Spanish. I have been working for Nike for seven years now across localization, brand marketing, and content operations. My background is in linguistics, translation, interpreting. I studied in Universidad de Alcalá in Spain and in Heredwood University, uh, who have a brilliant uh, conference interpreting program. Um, yeah, I've been in, in the localization industry for, for a while now, you may say. In my free time, I'm a dad of two. I like bikes, I like camping, and I like cooking and eating. So, why do words matter? Um, the reason I think words play such a fundamental role in human nature is because they help us form meaning. I don't want to go deep into the deterministic conversation today, whether language shapes thought or thought shapes language. One way or another, we express thought through words, and in finding new words, we find new venues to express our humanity. The other thing is words resonate with us deeply. 
when you find the right word, it talks to your gut and it allows you to express things that you feel that you don't Im immediately are able to verbalize. That's why words move us. The fact that words resound with us so profoundly also turns them into a very powerful tool to move other people, but also to allow other people to move you, which is obviously a double-edged sword. Um, there's people who have a talent um, to, to put thought into work. Like Ai Weiwei is one of those people who can say a lot with very few words, which is especially amazing considering he does it across several languages. Um, and he has this quote that says, my favorite word is act. And this is such a bold, clear statement, but it's also, it makes it so easy to understand his art, his political positioning, his philosophy of life, and, and just basically how he ticks. And it, in five simple words, he's able to get you on the same page as he is and set the tone of conversation. Um, words have been used by politicians, leaders, generals through history to move people, to move armies, to get people to follow them. And some of those discourses resonate through history. Um, you know, I have a dream devoid of, of historical context. It's actually a pretty simple notion. You know, we all have dreams. It's not that radical of an, of an idea, but when Martin Luther King uttered this in Washington in front of thousands of people who have gathered there, not just black, 20% of the attendance was also white, and they were there to listen to a leader who was fundamentally changing society. And he started with a very simple statement, I have a dream. And everyone immediately tuned in to what was about to come. That is the power of words when they're used in the right way, in the right moment, at the right time. And words stay with us, whether it's in song or in poetry, or if you're in theater, or if you rewatch the same scene from the same film again and again and again. We go back to certain words through our lifetime, you know, and sometimes we find new meaning in them again and again. And that's because words have a special connection like I said before, with our fundamental whys, but also with our gut. And as we change through life, we go back to those words to find meaning in them. I have this with, with songs. Like, I mean, Tonight Tonight by the Smashing Pumpkins. It's something I've been listening to for, I don't know, I guess 20, 25 years now. Um, and I still get goosebumps. And I still say those words in my head when I need to listen to them. I know when that is. I have words tattooed in my skin. And there's poems I go back to read, I can tell from memory. And they have a, they, they allow me to put into perspective feelings that otherwise I would not be able to verbalize or they move me into action. And I mean, on a less serious note, words have been shared as part of popular, popular culture for, for centuries now. You know, there were words written in the walls of Pompeii. We know script was circulated in, in Alexandria. And all throughout history, people have found ways of putting in writing 
very simple calls to action for everyone to jump on. And I'm always embarrassed to admit this, but pretty much every day I go to great fucking design advice and just look at what they're sharing that day, you know? And I have a few of those saved in my Instagram account, not just from this page, but, you know, from a number of other accounts. And I just save those words. And if you're a words person, you need to have a collection of quotes that you go back to, that you read and they inspire you again and again and again. And it's that power of words that allows you to get moving when you need that, when you're stuck, when you're feeling up or down, uh, when you need inspiration, or when you need to find patience, whatever it might be, if you're a words person, you know you have a quote to do that. And you feel like sharing it with other people. And it's not just about the words. It's about who uses them and how they're used. Claire Steinem said that words mean something different depending on the person who says them, right? Like I said before, I have a dream, you know, said in the morning over coffee. It's not the same as Martin Luther King saying it when he said it. It's not the same as hearing him say it now, decades later. It's not the same as someone quoting him. And he, and he could be quoted and misquoted. So who is using the words and with what intention? It's a fundamental part of the equation. Nations have been built on words. The, the French national anthem has been around for over 200 years now. And if you've been to a rugby game in France, it's impossible not to get goosebumps when they start singing the Marseillaise. That's a pretty recent and easy example, but we know it has been sung during world wars, it has been sung during revolutions, and for 200 years, it has given the French people part of their national identity. And those three words are repeated again and again and again. And they form part of a very complicated thing, which is a national construct, whatever you may think of that notion, you know? But somehow, they're embodied in very few words that have been repeated millions of times. And words have even been confused for God, have hold God, and they have been treated like God. So this, this is scripture, right? So in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And entire theologies have been built around the idea that God is contained in holy word, which to me personally, is a strange idea. I'm not a religious person myself, but I understand the profound power that words have had over millions of life and still have because it allows people to carry a profound feeling of re re religion and deity in something that they can actually comprehend and that they can use, which are words. Words also tell a story and they hide our sins. Um, they, there's a lot you can, you can learn from a culture by the, how its language is shaped over the years and over the centuries. And there are cues to our history 
in, in the words that we use today. Um, there are many such examples, uh, but master bedroom is a very interesting one. Master bedroom has a profound racist history. Um, it represented a beacon of exclusion because it disbarred entry to people of color. And furthermore, the terminology leaves independent women out of home ownership by not having room for a mistress bedroom. This construct of master bedroom is something we've all used and never really questioned, either from a position of privilege or from a position of oppression. The important thing here is it made it into common parlance, it made it into the mainstream because the cultural, the, the dominant culture used it and then it came to us. And history continues to be written in our words and the words that we use. Every year, um, the Oxford English Dictionary picks a word of the year. And so does the Collins Dictionary, by the way, um, as does the Spanish Academy and many other en um, entities. Um, this year, the, the Collins Dictionary chose lockdown. So the imposition of stringent restrictions on travel, social interactions, and access to public spaces which is unsurprising, but it's also kind of shocking. If anyone had told us a year ago that this would be the next word of the year, I think we would have all laughed. Oxford English Dictionary decided that they couldn't. They couldn't pick a word of the year. It has been such a heavy year for humanity. And the English language has been impacted so deeply by this year that they had to have a selection of those words that they came through. And as you read through this list, list of words, it kind of like starts bringing back moments in this year that maybe you haven't forgotten, but so much has happened that you, you maybe has been superseded by the latest big event. Bushfires, impeachment, acquittal, coronavirus, COVID-19, lockdown, social distancing, reopening, Black Lives Matter, cancel culture, APOC, mailing, Belarusian, moonshot, super spreader, net zero, circuit breaker, support bubbles, key workers, furlough, conspiracy theories, mask up, anti-mask, anti-masker, mask shaming, allyship, decolonize, defund, flatten the curve, pandemic, epidemic, juntint, so on and so forth. 2020 is told in those words. And it, it's it's shocking to see this list. I mean, I, I found it deeply impacting when I when I when I saw this come through in my in my Instagram account uh, feed. Um, so people a lot smarter than me have put a lot of thought thought into into language philosophy, starting with with Plato, who first started pondering on the relationship between words and truth and meaning. Um, and John Locke made this interesting point that we should have a great fear dispute in this world if words were taken for what they are, the science of our ideas only, and not things themselves. Um, and I want us to keep this idea for a moment because words matter, but words also need to be taken for what they are. Because when we don't see the difference between a word and an idea, we empower other people to tell us what we think. Umberto Eco, who 
um, obviously is one of the great language thinkers um, of our times and of all times. And he he took the the study and the thinking around the relationship between you know a sign and meaning and reality to to new levels in the in the 20th century. He he also has this really interesting book. Uh, it's actually a collection of essays called How to Spot a Fascist. And he starts by telling a story of 1942 when he was 10, you know, and, and he won the first prize um, at the compulsory open competition for young Italian fascists, which everyone his age had to join. And he wrote a very intense piece about, um, you know, should we die for the glory of Mussolini and the immortal destiny of Italy? And he wrote the, you know, the, the writing competition. And then he tells how from 1943 to 1945, he actually learned the true meaning of freedom, which at the time for him, when he was a teenager, didn't include the notion of liberation. And in that process, he learned that freedom of speech means freedom from rhetoric, which is the freedom to understand the difference between what how words are used, what words mean, and what you yourself think. There's another tiny book I've been reading recently uh, by Timothy Snyder, um, which is called On Tyranny, 20 Lessons from the 20th Century. Um, Timothy Snyder is, is a historian, and he has studied uh, fascism and communist dictatorships in, in Europe in the 20th century. And at the beginning of the 21st century, he, sta he started raising the flag and saying, hey, history does not repeat itself, um, but there are patterns, and there's people who see their, those patterns and use them. And he, he basically wrote down 20 things that we should all keep in mind and just be aware of. And two of them are specific about words. And I want to read a quick introduction to both of them. The first one is the ninth in his list, which is be kind to our language. It says, avoid pronouncing the phrases everyone else does. Think of your own way of speaking, even if only to convey that thing you think everyone is saying. Make an effort to separate yourself from the internet. Read books. The second one is listen for dangerous words. So be alert to the use of the words extremism and terrorism. Be alive to the fatal notions of emergency and exception. Be angry about the treacherous use of patriotic vocabulary. And those are things that we can learn from the 20th century and from before. Tyrants have used words against people and not questioning those words leads to submission. So what does this mean to us today in the absence of COVID-19? Because I think we're all done talking about it for a bit, right? Um, there's every generation has its own war of emancipation. Um, and I feel today's young people have three battles that they have decided to fight. The first one is on gender. The second one is on race. And the third one is on climate. And like we've seen 
um, like we were discussing, the words that we use carry a meaning, carry baggage and tell a story of how we got here. The words that we use are full of intent and intention, whether we want it or not. And the words that we use will carry our ideas, even if they're not the same thing as our ideas. Um, and I just want to spark this conversation with you today about how I see words being used in the context of those emancipation movements and how the notion of decolonializing language is graining ground. And decolonializing was one of the words in that 2020 list of words. Um, and what it means is actually unpacking that baggage, that historical baggage that comes with words, questioning that background. How did white domination, how did the patriarchy shape the language that we use? And how can we start using words in a way that drive change? And how are people, and not just we, I mean, I actually think this is young people's fights and I mean, I personally support them, but that's, that's beyond the point. Um, on gender, one thing I've noticed is how simple English makes it to suddenly switch to the inclusive they. This is a lot harder to do in gendered language, languages like Spanish, right? But English has made it very easy to start writing emails that don't make an assumption about who you're talking to or how that person identifies itself. And even though the pronoun they has been used in English as an inclusive or neutral singular for centuries, it has actually become mainstream recently, right? And allowed people to, both from the point of view of the speaker, but also from the point of view of the receiver, to have an, a respectful exchange that doesn't make assumptions about the, the gender politics involved. And I have a daughter and I, I think a lot, a lot about this when we, when we speak in Spanish at home, it's a lot harder to do this in Spanish. And languages are so loaded. Um, you know, in Spanish, un piloto, a pilot, it's, it's by default a man, but una zafata, an air hostess, is by default a woman. And you could say, what does that matter? But what are we telling children? How do we construct the self-image of a girl when gender is pre-assigned to specific roles around them? And how do we start breaking through them to set them free and let them be whatever they want to be? And we can start creating that change in many ways. One of them is through the words that we use and the words that we choose to use, but also realizing who's not using them and why. On race, many pages have been written this year on this topic, um, rightfully so. Um, and there's, there's many ways we could approach it, but there was, there was a debate in American media that really interested me. And that was the Black Lives Matter. And then, a, you know, a kind of backlash that started with All Lives Matter. And I love this little comic because I think it makes a point brilliantly of when you have, it's so easy to stay with the words and you say black lives matter. No, but all lives matter. Yeah, of course they do. It's hard to argue with that. Or, but it actually is if you go 
you need to go a little bit deeper. You need to go beyond the words and you need to understand two things. A, why do Black Lives Matter? So in this case, obviously, it's because of all the historical and social law that are behind them, but you also have to go in and question who is diverting attention from that struggle? Who is distracting attention from the meaning of those words by using the same words in a different way? The third example that I've, I've noticed, and this is an interesting change, is there's been a switch from discussing global warming to climate emergency. And if you think about it, global warming sounds kind of nice and safe. You know, it's like, who doesn't like to be warm? I mean, I don't like being cold, you know? And if it's happened globally, well, that's okay. I mean, warm is a pretty mild word. You know, why should you worry about that? Um, and it's hard to prove those things, but I, I personally don't think it's, it's, it's a casual choice of words. I don't believe in those things. And I do think that for a long time, the media has carelessly used global warming for something that was a lot more urgent than it actually is. And through activists um, and activist media like The Guardian, and the quote here is, is actually from The Guardian, um, The Guardian decided to start using climate emergency in 2019, I believe, because it conveys a sense of urgency. It's a call to action. Like Greta Thunberg said, it's act, I want you to act like your house is on fire, but you're not going to do that if you don't feel that sense of urgency. Would you say global warming implies a sense of urgency? Not really, right? The climate emergency does. Like there is an emergency you pay attention to it immediately. I think it's a very smart choice of words um, that the environmental movement has, has picked here. And, and I, yeah, it's a powerful one. So, all this is to say, we should use words purposefully. It takes a voice to have an echo chamber. And we live in an echo chamber in so many ways. Um, and we need to fill that void with words that we're using intentionally and that we know why we're using. The second one is, it takes discipline and effort to question the ideas not just the words. It's easy to get lost in the semantics. And we, of all people, should know this. Um, but we need to go deeper and understand what's behind those words, what's the intention, who is using them and why. Because words matter, but ideas matter even more. And last but not least in this industry, we need to respect linguists and writers. I actually think translation is the oldest profession in the world. And they are the foundation of our industry, they also make the world tick in many, many ways, and they deserve a lot more credit than we usually give them. Um, very quickly, I've referenced a few books. Um, Susan thought it was a good idea to share which one. So if you guys want to screenshot this, um, or I can share the list later on. Uh, those are literally books that I've been reading recently in no particular order. So you have On Tyranny uh, by Tim, uh, Timothy Snyder. It's literally a one hour read, highly recommended. Um, of the Abuse of Words by John Locke. And there's a typo in the name. 
Um, how to spot a fascist? Fun reading. Very important by Umberto Eco. Sorry if someone is disappointed I didn't go deep into the linguistics and semiotics of that Umberto Eco, but we can do that another time. Um, there's this lovely little book from Feynman called You Better Make Some Noise. It's literally a book of quotes. And they're pre-drilled, so you can actually read them off and give them to people as you go. And then there's Do the Fucking Work, which I don't think is a great book, but I actually find it really moving. And I like casually looking at it. And it's so beautifully put together. So that was a lot of words for me. <laughs> this was meant to be a conversation. So let's have a conversation now. And I would like to start with going back to this idea. If 2020 was a word for you, which word would it be and why? Tell me. Hi, Al. How are you? Good to find you all. This is Virginia. Hey, Virginia. How are you? I'm good. So my favorite word, I may say, it's like recreation, human recreation. Recreation. from yeah recreation from the human perspective we all have to relearn and reborn for all our lives it's like everything has changed everything is different and we have we had the power to recreate it ourselves so as to survive and still being alive and being happy when we can so i believe recreation is my word very good. I just want to step in and say thank you very much, Virginia, and, and thank you, Al, for those comments. Oh my goodness, I wrote pages of notes and I could I could I could follow up with my poems I want to tell you, but I'll tell you later. Guys, um from in global <laughs> all about bringing people and I'm looking at you all on the screen now so I can see you and pretend like I'm in a room with you. I miss you guys. So we've got to pretend like we're all together and talking. Let's have a really good chat now. And when you're talking, say your name and your company, where you're from. And if you can't hear someone, let's do this thing that, that Sasha taught us in episode one. Tell us like this with some hand gestures and raise your hand or, and I'm gonna be focusing here to see if you guys mean anything. My favorite word is chaos from this year. <laughs> Pascal. Hi Al, thank you. Uh, this is Pascal, I work at The Gap. Um, thank presentation this was very inspiring and being a nerdy word person as well um, I can relate to most of this presentation this was fantastic and um, I think uh, I wanted to piggyback from Laura because the word um, for 2020 actually for me just came in the recent weeks as I was um, reading poetry with my daughter and um, because it's been very chaotic and social media in our lifestyles, everything is, oh, there's so much noise everywhere for our kids, for work. And um, in that chaos, what happened? And uh, we discovered that poem with my daughter and it was called Exclamation. Mm -hmm. But within that poem, it was all about stillness mm -hmm. and finding that stillness, that place and the last image was a hummingbird where everything is so busy when you think about it, but then you have to find that stillness within your home, within yourself. And I think um, it definitely has been challenging, but I think that's my word because this is what we're 
trying, uh, at least for us, trying to find, trying to find a little bit of peace. Very good. Thank you. I know I have, hi Tim, I know Tim. I have a lot of language people Go here. Go ahead, Tim. Hey, thanks a lot, Alvaro. Really appreciate it. Um, my word for this year is revelation. Uh, this year was a revelation in terms of all those things that we took for granted or I took for granted using airplanes as buses. Uh, forgive me if this is offensive to anyone, taking democracy in the United States for granted, that it was always going to be a given. Um, so for me, this was like, whoa, the year of revelation to yeah. truly open my eyes. Thanks. Thanks, Tim. Hi, Patrick. Hi, uh, my name is Patrick from Eventbrite. Uh, thanks, Alvaro. That was um, really fascinating. I've, I've been a language geek since the day I was born, so it's just music to my ears. I don't think I have a word for 2020. I just have an observation that the most positive word of this year is negative, and the most negative word of this year is positive, uh, if you're thinking about COVID. And so that's kind of been messing with my mind for a while. And, and, uh, and, and thinking about, um, you know, all those words you put on the screen about 2020, which was really jarring to see them all in one place. One that stuck in my mind, and especially Alvaro, when you're talking about the power of words and how they, they, can, they can make us think only in one direction. One of the words that I've struggled with this year is the word social distancing. Because I think what we've been doing is physical distancing, right? Rather than social distancing, social distancing is a much heavier thing to do. And I do wonder, not to get too like gloomy here, but I do wonder how much extra weight and kind of isolation, possibly depression has been caused by people being told to distance socially and not just physically. Because standing six feet or two meters apart isn't social distancing, it's, it's physical distancing. So again, the power of words, especially in the year where, um, as you showed on the screen, 30, 40 words up there that most people have either not used before, never heard of before, or used in a different way. So even these new words that we're coming up with, what, what are they doing to us um, kind of from a social and a, and a, a psychological point of view? Thanks, Patrick. How about Anna? Do you have, do you have a word, Anna? Uh-oh, mute. Sorry, I was muted, guys. Uh, no, I was just, uh, I, I saw that uh, Anna Sevilano said work-life balance. It's a, a three words, actually. Uh, Mine is uh, working from home. It's a three-word word. Uh, I just thought it was funny. <laughs> that is that. Yeah, that we we have, thank you, Anna. We have too many Annas in the room. Anna Schlegel. <laughs> oh, my, so, my word. My word oh, is. Really sorry, guys. Rebel. I thought. You, All Annas welcome. Let's get Anna Schlegel. Rebel to rebel. Rebound for sure. For sure. You can't she travel, say, travel. Rebound or rebuild? Autumn hikes. I think I think that it wasn't heard correctly. Is it rebound or rebel? Rebellious. Rebellious. Oh, oh like it. Okay. <laughs> oh, my biggest. Uh, my 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 colleague is the uh, number one rebel in Visitech. Is Suzanne right here? <laughs> oh, we know Suzanne is a little bit of a rebel. Yeah. <laughs> and I can see yet another Anna. My friend Anna Sevillano in the chat saying that for her is work-life balance, which is actually three words. Uh, but funnily enough, my word of the year was balance. Um, work-life 
balance is one of them, but this to me has been a heavy year about finding balance. It's not something I had thought about a lot previously in life and having to find balance in the daily routine and in a rather monastic life, if you will, yeah. which is not something that sits well with someone who's slightly hyperactive like me. Yeah. And it's, you know, that word balance, it's something I hadn't put so much effort into ever and so much thought into. Do I have Soren available? Hi, Soren. Um, yeah, <clears throat> I'm Soren. I'm with Microsoft. And um, Al, thanks, thanks for this really in insightful presentation. I really loved it. I actually took your question as a trick question, um, since you also showed all these different words. Um, and I think in a way, um, when you think about it, like compressing a year like 2020 into one single word, um, it's, it's that temptation of just putting a hashtag on something, um, trying to just tweet a policy in, in how many characters, 160 characters. Um, it's just one of those things where I feel that there's also that danger that um, we might use words to compress complexity too much. And I think that's one of the things that we've seen uh, in, well, in the United States in, in recent years, much more clearer um, that sometimes you need more than, than one word, you need more than one sentence uh, to talk about the world. And I think that's, that's one of the challenges for the 21st century, right? Um, we've seen, um, seen a lot of that. And maybe that's one of the ways I, I have not read the how to, how to spot a fascist, but uh, sometimes I feel like um, just using too few words for complex matters, um, that is where, where danger can come from. And it's not just using too few words. Um, it's, it's not trying to use your own words for it. And by, and it, again, if, if you speak more than one language and I, I don't, I found it really hard to bring in the multilingual global layer into, into this presentation because I found myself trying to go back and forth between languages and I ultimately didn't want to get stuck in it. I had examples in Spanish, Olga, um, from my team helped me find some really good Russian examples, but then it was, it, it just became, the logistics of it became problematic. But part two, one interesting thing is, and, and language nerds love this, how does speaking more than one language shape your thinking? Because mm -hmm. you have to make a constant conscious effort to find words to say what you're trying to say. Mm -hmm. You cannot just repeat what you've heard, you know? Um, and, and that doesn't have to be it's something that bilingual people are aware of and reflect upon, but it's something that no one should do in a single language either. There is a danger in repeating words because it's easy. It's easy. It goes to the gut, which was, you, you know, which, sorry, it was the point. And you're right. The simplifying to one word, it's, it, it, it was a game to play, you know, and then spark this right. conversation. Right. But he, I mean, I'm just agreeing with you with too many words. Yeah. You guys, I'm really curious about all of your thoughts about Al, Al, your presentation was really interesting because you started with the personal and how words mean something to you and us as, as people. We have our favorite phrases and poems and that kind of gives us inspiration when we need when we need a lift. But then there's the public and then there's the future. And, and a lot of these, a lot of our guests here are leaders, global leaders for global strategy, for products, and we have teams and we have teams worldwide and we have products that we're um, evangelizing. 
And so the words that we use to describe these products are very important there. And so we go from the personal and what works for us to, to being role models for our teams and our companies and our, our customers, et cetera. I'm very curious what people have to say about that. Does anyone wanna try and tackle that? I'll say one thing. I don't know, I think it resonates not just self, team, company, society. So I'm gonna take it all the way through. Uh, a couple things that came to me this year from a, couple, a word perspective is humanity. I don't think that I ever had to look at my fellow neighbors and relatives and colleagues and society in the manner which I did this year. So many people are suffering. So it gave me a sense of that humanity, that, that connectedness to humanity that this dark time has created. It really resonated with looking over there to see how others are doing. We got, I was so caught up in the day to day, the, 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 the task versus the bigger, wow, put your head up and look at what's going on with your fellow man. Another thing I think is during the darkest times, I think that the, one of the survival tactics is the word gratitude, you know, being grateful for what you have. And sometimes you have to really dig deep to find a thing or two that you can be grateful for. So that's all I wanted to add to that. I'm sure others have interesting things to say. Thank you, Laura. Tell me. Yeah, um, maybe. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Katrin. Just maybe just one last thing to add to the conversation about, you know, working from home and the work-life balance. I heard recently people referring to it that since there is no more balance, there is kind of chaos and merger of everything together. It's more like a work-life integration that we are in for the long run. <laughs> and we all have, you know, our uh, I think we could hear Al's kids in the background during his presentation. We could see our pets kind of joining our Zoom meetings. Mm -hmm. And um, it's just something that I guess brought some humanity to, to the Zoom you know, meetings and to meeting each other virtually. So just that, and go ahead, Katrin, sorry to step in. Maddie. Yeah, no, I was just thinking, I mean, for me that the, the one word would be not so much a descriptor of, of the year, but like a, a theme for, for me anyway, for my kind of uh, how I perceive 2020 for myself. And, and um, there's a few things. I like, the, I like the word gratitude, Suzanne, that, that word came to my mind as well, because you, you do kind of realize with all the, the chaos, <laughs> there's another word going on. You kind of, you, you become all the more grateful for, you know, what, um, what you have in your own life that that keeps you going and keeps you you know grounded and stable and the things you can be um, that, that bring happiness right in your own life so that's gratitude is definitely one uh, another thing I, <clears throat> I I kind of found this year to be was a, a reality check I, I like that word because it I, I, I think 2020 was a really good reality check on many levels for 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 uh, for many different kinds of things and but it again it ties into gratitude because you you realize yeah i we should be grateful for you know democracy <laughs> when it works well uh we we should be grateful for you know our ecosystem when it's in balance you know uh, we should be grateful for 
you know, the, the relationships in our lives that, uh, that keep us going. And, uh, you know, because when we're all in lockdown, I can't even imagine living by myself right now, right? We're in lockdown here in Toronto. And if I was living all by myself, I think I'd go a little nuts, right? So, so on the one hand, oh, and another word that came to my mind was patience, because on the other hand, <laughs> we're now all home all the time. Yeah. And I used to have, you know, the house all to myself for hours on end every day. And now, Mm -hmm. you know everyone's home all the time so it's it's hard to carve out you know time to kind of just you know get some quiet time to myself um so patience patience is another word that um i has been important to me so it's sort of a mixture i can't pick just one i'm with zorin as well like it's it, it i feel like it's it's trying to um deny the complexity right of of real life and real situations to pick just one word but those are some of the words for me for sure. We have, we have, did I see a hand, somebody? Oh, I, Manuela likes patience as well. And I think lots of family members appreciate that word for sure. And mindset and rebellious. And Antonia says, if you, put, if you apply metadata to your word, more meaning will be applied. And limbo is a word we have on the chat because we're all in limbo waiting a lot of waiting so there we need the patience I also, I also think laurie you brought up a good point maybe we could do an around the room as to how people feel that this year jumping from the word to physically how it's impacting you how is this affecting your business how is this affecting you in your business world does anybody have anything they want to say on that I'm just want, let's go to Tim real quick, who had his hand, and then we go to that. Tim? Oh, sorry, this is a bit of uh, shifting gears. Alvaro, I wanted to, you talked about balance, and then I want to go back to your presentation as well. I'm very interested to see if you or anyone else on the call has read anything about, with words, the middle ground. For example, you gave the example of from global warming to climate change. Now, mm -hmm. I don't know if the rest of the world is similar to the United States where everything is so divisive. And so my question is finding the words that come to the middle that people can actually talk about and actually begin to agree on, because I think that's a critical piece now. The other thing that comes to my mind is defund the police, yes. which is the most unfortunate phrase of the year for me, because it doesn't say what it really is. So I'm curious if you've read anything or perhaps other people have read anything about finding words in the middle. Thank you. Well, team, that's, that's a great question. And defund the police is a perfect example of very poor word choice yeah. that has been elevated to the mainstream for the wrong reasons, because it's self-defeating. You know, and it, it's because, A, speaking on a negative about a positive is a very poor strategy to begin with. Like you should always speak in positives if you want to create positive change. Um, second, because it goes to the gut. Like, to me, it's, it's like a, it's a one-on-one error, you know, in, in, in communication for something that, in my opinion, is fundamentally, is a reasonable idea, but it's so badly labeled, it right. will create a rejection. There was another very interesting article in the New York Times about the term Latinx being used in the US. Hmm. And it's it's super interesting because no one speaking in Spanish will say 
Latinx. Latinos and Latinas won't self-identify as Latinx. They don't even identify as Latinos most of the time. Right? They self-identify as Hispanos, Hispanas, or even whichever the nationality background is. And it's a really good example of trying to create a label from a point, it's a very good example of modern language colonialism because it's imposing a narrative on a group of people who haven't self, they haven't decided themselves to label themselves that way. And it's even weird in the way that it's using the X in a word that doesn't need to have gender in Spanish to begin with. In English, sorry, my bad, in English to begin with. So that is another great example of the dangers in using words, regardless of the cause, right? And this is what I was trying to say. This was a personal presentation, so I brought some of my personal examples. Um, on a more philosophical level, addressing the point about finding common ground, there is a danger there. When you're discussing with someone who moves the goalposts constantly, for example, vaccines work. I think vaccines don't work. The middle ground is maybe they work. And that's a very easy trap to fall into when having a conversation with someone who's not committed to the truth and is not committed to facts and is not committing to actually the ideas behind the words. Same can happen with any other topic. And it's something that populists will use on the left and the right, will use constantly. Because if you move the goalposts so far out of what's reasonable, the common ground will fall in an unreasonable place. I just wanna to add to what Tim said in regards to the middle ground. My husband is best friends with the great grandson of Booker T. Washington. And we've had many fun wine discussions over race and our society, particularly in America. The middle ground is very important because each side has a symbiotic. It's like somebody said earlier, you can't have one without the other, they're symbiotic. Mm -hmm. So the time of Booker T. Washington historically, Booker T. Washington was integrate, educate, assimilate into society. At the same time, you had Malcolm X fight, be violent, make trouble. But to be honest with you, we would never have had any advancement in civil rights movement without both of them. Right. They both needed to be in place. So there is, that middle ground, you're, you're so spot on with this, Tim. The middle ground is the most important space to be because without one, you can't have the other. It's a symbiotic relationship. Mm -hmm. And I want to... I want to clarify what I was saying. I do agree that it's important to find common ground and middle grounds. What I'm saying is, and you know, Timothy Snyder makes a really good point in this book about this. Beware of people who want to use that against you also. There is a need to find a common ground and a middle ground, but it has to be done on a common agreement, whether it's a social contract or it's a shared set of values. Could you say that again, Al? You kind of broke up and it was an important um, point. So what I was saying is that I 100% agree that it's important to find common grounds and middle grounds and shared spaces to build communities, right? Um, and I can't remember right now who said this, but it's, it's 
the difference between community and tribe. You know, community is built on what we share. Tribe is built on what we don't share with others. And mm -hmm. anyone can be part of a community because we share this, this, and this, and this. A tribe is an exclusion of everyone that doesn't share this, mm -hmm. right? And to build community, you need to find those middle grounds, but be careful because that logic can be subverted very easily to build a tribe. And that's the point I was trying to make. And the same words will be used for both. And that's why you have to question words and stay alert to how words are used, how words are used. Another way of saying this is that someone's terrorist is usually someone else's hero. All right. Interesting, Al. It's very true. And also, if you look back in history, we would call the revolutionaries that were doing the greater good of mankind to overthrow uh, terrible governments, terrorists. But were they? So, good point. <laughs> we see that a lot. I'm kind of laughing, thinking about how how many times people can can anything we try to do in earnest can get turned upside down. So I think you're right. Beware and be prepared. <laughs> it shall happen. Um, and I think good marketing on any side, you know, um, you know, good marketing and good kind of um, counter counter proposals are are the way to handle that. Um, hey, Lara, what, one very interesting is this. I'm loving this conversation because when people come in, right, when you were thinking of the example of Malcolm X and things that to somebody is like, oh my God, this guy is nuts, but then to some other part of the population is like, yes, right. We need more of those people. Yeah. Because if you're always like so damn polite and worried, I mean, I'm, you know. Yep. Uh, it's a sacrifice someone has to make, right? It's, it's, and we're so It's so dangerous. It's so dangerous because yeah. you will be immediately, immediately, you know, uh, you yeah. know, it takes three to six seconds for somebody to get an opinion on somebody else. Like I, I know half of the people, but I don't know a lot of the people on this call. Right. It, it, you're a hundred percent right on Anna. And I guess I'm curious, I want to take a brand and I'm sorry, just, you know, Al, your brand is quite cutting edge and rebellious, sociologically rebellious. How, how do they do that? Are they afraid? How, how do they, some yeah. brands less than others. Can you talk a little bit about that from a brand perspective? It's a difficult one to discuss, honestly. I'm, I'm not gonna discuss brand strategy openly here, but what I can tell you, and this is true for any brand, is that it has to be rooted on your mission statement and your vision. Mm -hmm. And that's where it comes from for any brand. Yeah. And that's what will act as a guiding principle for how you should be talking, how you should be using words and who, you, which side you're gonna be taking in history. Um, this is true for any organization, not just brands, but it's very true for brands. And um, you will see, and it has been, if, if, you, if you're interested in brand strategy, you will notice that over the last five to 10 years, there's been a shift towards brands trying to find purpose. It's rooted in partly in what we're discussing today. Because if you want to connect with people, you need to start with why. 
you're doing something. Because someone else is going to do the what and the how, the same way you are. But how will you create distinction? How will you connect with people in such a busy world as the one we live in today? So, yeah, I hope that answers the question. Yeah, very good point. I didn't mean to put you on the spot, but no, 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 it's okay. generalizing that, I appreciate that. And I think you leave us with a lot to think about. Uh, we are at the one minute mark, so I'm going to leave it with Domi so we could uh, wrap it up. And we thank you so very much, Alvaro Via Via Morello. The, one of the most interesting talks that I think we've had this year. So bravo to you. And without further ado, Domi. <laughs> thank you, Suzanne. Uh, yeah, Al, thank you for a truly thought-provoking uh, conversation. Uh, thank you to our audience for their insightful comments and questions. Uh, and we, before we sign it off uh, for this year, uh, let me share a quick note from our sponsor. Uh, Vistatech is a global solutions provider that works with some of the world's most iconic brands to make multilingual versions of their products. We are known for quality and technical innovation. We are also recognized for our academic focus. And hence the All Things Global series aims to connect our global community with knowledge and ideas to support your successful international strategy. So at any point in time, please reach out to Suzanne, Lara, myself, or any of your Vistatech contacts. Uh, it was an absolute honor hosting the last 2020 All Things Global webcasts for you. Wishing everyone joyful and safe holidays. Uh, we are looking forward to seeing you in the new year for more stimulating interviews and conversations about all things global. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Thank you. Thank you guys. Take care. Thanks for having Happy me. holidays. Thank you. Thanks. Bye.